welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every week, decisions are made across Maine that affect the future of our environments. Lawmakers in Augusta propose or debate new bills. Mainers speak up on proposals made by corporations or state agencies. Clean energy projects are launched, or communities take action to address threats to clean air or water or open spaces that they cherish. Since 1959, NRCM has been on the front lines, tracking these developments and tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law. NRCM does this to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. So every two weeks, we'll sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories you need to know about and what lies ahead. Thank you for listening as we share our view from the front lines. Hi, and welcome. I'm your host, Colin Durant, and I'm here again with NRCM's Advocacy Director, Pete Didesheim, to discuss the latest news affecting Maine's environment. Uh, well, just like the weather, Pete, things are really heating up in the legislature. They you really love that? are heating up. <laughs> yep. Do you love that pun? Um, oh, it, yeah, it's perfect. Brutal. All right. Anyways, it's crunch. Uh, so it's crunch time and lawmakers are facing this June deadline. Um, I know earlier this week uh, they held their first formal session b- back at the state house. Um, you were there. Uh, what was it like? Tell us what it was like out there or so actually lawmakers- in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty amazing. Actually, lawmakers were back at the state house, as you said, for the first time in 14 months. And at one point, a legislator, a state senator said on his microphone, wow, it seems like a lifetime since we were here last. And I think everybody in the building felt that way. Um, I certainly did. It was the first time in 14 months that I put on a tie and a jacket and headed over to the state house to watch what was happening. And I have to say it was kind of wonderful in its own way to see the lawmakers back at their desks doing the people's business. Everyone was wearing masks, except for one legislator. Um, his refusal to wear a mask caused the House to delay its actions for a couple hours. Otherwise, it um, had a bit of a homecoming feel to it. Lawmakers were greeting each other. You know, they were a little bit uncertain about whether to shake hands or bump fists or give a half hug or an air hug or a real hug. I kind of saw all of the above. Uh, the bells were ringing in the halls, announcing that the House and the Senate were going back into session and signaling when a vote was underway. So that was all familiar, but also seemed like kind of distant memories. Uh, But even one legislator said, well, when it's dinging, is that the house or was the continuous ring the house? I mean, so that's kind of interesting. Um, There were reporters there in the Senate chamber watching and taking notes for stories and lobbyists in the hallways. And they're definitely trying to influence lawmakers and, and everybody was on masks. With masks, it was a little bit harder to recognize the legislators. Of course, missing from the halls were the throngs of school kids and members of the public that add another level of buzz and commotion to the state house. But lawmakers really seemed genuinely glad to be back in their desks. Uh, instead of spread out at the Augusta Civic Center, where they've met in recent months, and there were some really nice sentiments shared on microphone by lawmakers in a bipartisan way, just recognizing um, what a difficult year this has been and how much they appreciate the work that the legislative leaders have provided in these challenging times. So now the real work is beginning and heating up, as you said, as they start working through literally hundreds of bills 
that have been the subject of public hearings and committee deliberations and votes at the committee level. And, and now those bills are being reported out going to the, to the, um, to the House and Senate. Um, but it was nice to hear the laughter and the patience they shared with each other as they literally relearned how to activate their microphones and get into gear debating, voting at a really fast pace. I mean, it was yesterday's session and today's really fast pace. They are plowing through these bills and they want to adjourn in, in just a few weeks. They get a lot of work to do. Yeah, that's exciting. And, at, you know, as someone who's worked in a state legislature before, you know, the saying oh, politics is personal is, is you, you know, it's those personal interactions, especially across um, political divides or partisan boundaries that, you know, often where you can make progress. So yeah, I can it's imagine. Really nice. it's wonderful. Yeah, I, was, I can imagine it was sort of like a new new energy. Um, so so, so, so from what you've seen so far, from what you've observed both yesterday and over the uh, past few days, um, what are the most significant comp accomplishments or votes uh, that have happened so far at the state house? Sure. Uh, so, legislators have made significant progress on a bunch of bills, even just in the last forty-eight hours. A uh, number of bills that we care about, and I can already tell that we will have a series of successful outcomes this year. Uh, there was uh, positive final votes um, on a bill that defines the intentional release of balloons as litter, you know, which makes it subject to fines. So that bill will help reduce plastic pollution. The legislature is on track to pass a bill that would ban the use of neonicotinoid pesticides or neonics as they're called for outdoor residential landscape applications. And these pesticides are a major threat to bees and other pollinators, to wildlife, water quality, food supplies, even humans. So that's a good thing. Uh, there's a bill that uh, is moving positively through that would allow municipalities to establish local ordinances uh, that would enable commercial property owners to finance their energy efficiency and renewable energy projects through assessments on their properties. And this is a creative financing program that was endorsed by the Maine Climate Action Plan. A bunch of other states have adopted similar uh, programs and it's been a big success as a way to get energy efficiency and, and uh, renewable uh, energy capital investments um, um, accelerating through, uh, through uh, commercial properties. Several other bills that connect to the Maine Climate Council's action plan also are heading towards enactment. Uh, a bill to reduce energy bills through energy efficiency standards for 10 residential and commercial products is moving ahead. Uh, this could result in savings as much as $9 million within a few years if those standards are put into place. There's also a bill to phase out high polluting chemicals known as hydrofluorocarbons or HFCs. These are really potent greenhouse gas gases. Uh, they're used for air conditioning, refrigeration, other applications. These HFCs have hundreds of thousands of times the heat trapping power of carbon dioxide. So phasing those out is a really big deal. Um, there's also a bill requiring the Department of Agriculture, Conservation and Forestry to establish a healthy soils program. That seems to be on track. This is important to improve drought resistance, stormwater resilience, water quality, uh, and carbon sequestration from, from soils that are managed in a healthy way. And finally, the legislature is also poised to direct the Maine Commission for Community Service to study options for creating a Maine Climate Corps. So that's kind of a cool concept. It was uh, endorsed by the Climate Action Plan. 
And um, the goal is to identify and facilitate service programs that would help Mainers get involved in addressing and mitigating climate change. And I think a climate core also has been proposed by President Biden. So that's kind of a cool thing. That's very cool. Yeah, I, I actually, my first job out of college was AmeriCorps. And it was oh, just- Oh yeah, this is similar. It would be kind of yeah. built on that. Yep. Yeah, it's just a great starting point. Yeah, a great way like to Teach dive in. for America and yeah. you know, Broadcast for America, lots of these sort yeah. of programs. Yep. Um, well, one of the most significant news items that um, you didn't mention uh, that we wanted to dig into was a really strong vote out of committee for the bill that would establish a publicly owned utility for Maine people. Can you just give us uh, the lay of the land here, dig into that a little? Yeah, so this is a really big moment for this issue. It was an important vote that happened at the Energy Utilities Technology Committee. I think the final vote is going to be 10 to 3. I'm not absolutely sure about that, but I think that's what the final vote is coming out of committee. And it's uh, to support creating a consumer-owned utility. It would be called Pine Tree Power Company, and it would put Maine people in charge of our transmission utilities instead of Central Maine Power and Versant, who run those today. Nearly 170 people provided testimony um, on the bill last week. In a hearing that lasted about 10 hours, NRCM's testimony was delivered at about 8 or 8.30 at night. It was a really long day. Um, and we do support the bill. It has uh, bipartisan support. And it was interesting to see who the opponents were, not surprising. CMP was there in force. I've never seen uh, a company allowed to have so many different um, people connected to the company testify, provide testimony on a single bill. Often when a bill comes forward, you only have one spokesperson from that company uh, who provides testimony. But in this case, we had Central Maine Power CEO. Uh, they also put their vice president up. They, they had their top lawyer from Pierce Atwood testify. They had their top lobbyist testify. Um, they had former uh, a former attorney testify, paid consultants testified. CMP had like an army, that's usually how they show up with an army um, to advance their case. And I think the case is really very strong for a consumer owned utility that would focus on providing reliable service, affordable energy and addressing climate change. And really Maine has, you know, CMP's record, I think most people know is, has been lousy. Uh, Maine has the worst and longest outages, power outages in the nation. CMP and Versant have among the worst rankings for consumer service in the nation. CMP has blocked clean energy projects consistently for 20 years and has opposed energy efficiency repeatedly, including imposing millions of dollars uh, on interconnection of solar projects recently. Really terrible. Um, you know, they, they claim that they have changed you know, and that they support renewable energy programs, but you really shouldn't believe it. Uh, CMP played a central role in defeating solar energy at the state house several years ago. And then when some bills came forward earlier this year to repeal Maine's net energy billing program for solar, CMP couldn't even get itself to testify against such a repeal. Instead, they testified neither for nor against. Yeah, so that's important. I mean, actions, not words, right? Let's, uh, so let's focus a little bit more. That digs into a heart of a, a topic that we're very interested in, of course, and working a lot on. So let's just focus a little bit more on um, 
how a consumer-owned utility fits in with what needs to happen to address climate change in Maine. How does climate action play into this proposal? Sure. So first of all, it, it appears from everything that we see that climate action is just not part of CMP's DNA. They have broadly been viewed as pretty much a Neanderthal corporation on climate and clean energy issues. Um, but more importantly, if the public owns this utility, uh, we will have access to low cost capital and will not have to pay the 10 to 12% shareholder profit margin that is um, part of all of CMP operations. So that could free up as much as $10 billion that then becomes available to expedite the clean energy transition to the grid of the future that we need. Right now, we CMP is owned by Iberdrola, which is based in Spain. And Iberdrola's largest shareholders are government banks in Spain, Qatar, and Norway. And Versant is owned by the government of Calgary. So what we're talking about is we want an investor-owned, we, we don't want this investor-owned model. We want a, a model that's owned by the people of Maine and we wanted to do it at a time where the leadership of Maine is coalescing around the imperative of moving towards a decarbonized grid. And we need to free up the capital that helps us move and make the investments towards this dynamic decarbonized energy system. And NRCM's pretty convinced that a public owned model is the way to go and it's worth trying to get there. LD1708, that's the number, that's the bill number, um, would allow Maine people to vote at the ballot whether they want to create a publicly owned utility. And we think that's worth doing. Um, obviously, there's a significant path ahead for this project. If the House and Senate pass it, the governor would need to sign it or veto it. Um, it would be unfortunate if it was vetoed. It seems like this is something that we should let the voters decide. And But if it is vetoed, then it seems like uh, there would be a citizen-initiated effort to put it on a, on a future ballot. And I should just say that anybody interested in learning more about, about this concept of creating a consumer-owned utility should visit the website ourpowermain.org. That's the um, website for the organization that's really promoting this and doing all the legwork on it. Excellent, thanks, Pete. And if I recall, they they released the results of a poll that showed something like over seventy percent support uh, for for this concept among Maine people. Not surprising, given all the things you just talked about. But anyways, yeah. that's yeah, yeah. a pretty astounding number. Um, a, a so another significant news moment this time in the national arena was the Biden administration's announcement that they're halting oil and gas drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. That's something we've been following, we're interested in. Uh, can you tell me from here in Maine why we're interested in something that's going on um, in Alaska? Sure, so yeah, that was a really big deal. The Biden administration decided this week to suspend oil and gas leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And now what we really wanna see is that to see those, those leases canceled. So right now they're suspended, they're under review to find out if the outgoing Trump administration issued those leases illegally without sufficient evaluation of the climate impacts of those leases. 
Um, we would like Congress to restore full protection of, of this 19 million acre Arctic refuge known as Anwar. This is really a, an extraordinary landscape of wilderness and wildlife that's extremely important to the Gwich'in indigenous peoples of the region and has been a much fought over um, landscape for going back 40 years. NRCM has had a strong interest in the protection of this landscape and as have um, Maine's congressional delegation usually has been uh, on our side on this. It was the opening it of it up, Anwar to oil and gas leasing um, occurred as part of the, the tax uh, bill that went through uh, in the early, uh, the first year of the Trump administration. And we would like that provision to be pulled out and overturned. You know, I should just say one other thing I'm, that's somewhat connected to this larger issue of, of keeping oil in the ground as opposed to extracting it and adding to our climate troubles. I'm also following the shareholder rebellion that happened during the ExxonMobil annual meeting last week. That was really interesting in a pretty unprecedented moment when uh, two members of the board uh, were ousted to be replaced by candidates who will try to steer the company towards a future that doesn't depend on fossil fuels. And so I'm also watching whether a third board member who isn't a climate denier may also be elected uh, as a result of the, the votes cast during that annual meeting, including from some big um, pension uh, shareholders that own significant shares of um, stocks in ExxonMobil. And depending on how that vote counting happens, there may be a third board member, but it's, I gotta say, it's a little bit odd that they're still counting votes almost a week after the, after it <laughs> happened. It seems a little fishy to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we'll be watching that. And that was, it was amazing um, to read yeah, I think the board up, meeting, they, they, they kind of stopped the board meeting and I think there was lobbying to of, uh, you know, try to affect the outcome of it. There seemed to be some, I don't know if there's vote tampering here or, or what, but I'm sure I'm sure there was a huge amount of hubris. Yes. Uh, involved in 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 just like not just a, you know denial that this could even happen after years of sort of ExxonMobil has did. funded some of the worst anti-climate action yeah. um, campaigns, yeah, and they really need to to get with the program. All right. Well, props to uh, to those folks for holding them accountable. Um, yeah. Let's let's wrap it up now. And and as we talked about, it's we're down to the wire. I feel like we've been saying that every episode, but we're like really down to the wire now. Um, only a few weeks left. So as we look at, as we look forward, I know that we're going to be tracking uh, a bunch of things, especially funding bonds and EPR. So can you just can you give us that rundown of what we're looking forward to in the next couple of weeks as we're tracking action at the state house? And it's Absolutely. actually happening at the state house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the legislature's uh, scheduled to be in session five days a week from now till when they adjourn. One of the bills that we're paying most attention to is the extended producer responsibility for packaging bill. This would require manufacturers of packaging to help pay for disposal and recycling of packaging waste. We discussed this with, with uh, Sarah Nichols on a previous uh, podcast. This would help main towns and taxpayers and help restore and strengthen our recycling programs. It came out of committee with a nine to four vote and it's probably gonna be up in the legislature soon. And this is one where 
if you have a relationship or you've got the phone number for your for your state representative and your state senator or you you know you you want to be involved um, go to our website and get the phone number or, or get the contact information um, send an email make a call urge your legislator to vote yes on ld1541 that's the epr for packaging bill that's a really top priority and needs to happen this year came close last year but then the long, the legislature adjourned abruptly so we're also Following the land bond, this is the Land for Maine's future funding proposal, uh, $40 million over four years. It's part of the governor's bond package. We hope to see that passed by the House and Senate by two thirds majorities and sent to the voters for their vote in consideration this November. The Appropriations Committee is doing a ton of work. They're addressing the governor's supplemental budget that has a number of really important new staff positions and initiatives that would help DEP with its permitting of solar projects and with the PFAS cleanup operations. There's climate, clean energy, natural resource management, components of that so-called change package. Um, so um, we know the Appropriations Committee is gonna be putting in long hours on that. They're also working on the governor's COVID Rescue Act funding uh, plan. That's gonna include $50 million for state parks and 50 million for energy efficiency. Those are really big priorities for us as well. And lots, lots more. So um, we'll, I'll, you know, the next podcast, I'll, I'll have a whole string of other updates, but without getting into further uh, details, that's, that's covered a lot right there. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great. And um, suffice to say, like you said, we're gonna have a lot to talk about um, in the next podcast. Um, one thing I did want to mention real quick for people, we talked about the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. I know our team is working on a, a, a webinar, which I think will be really exciting about this topic, probably in the next couple months. So just keep an eye out for that, um, you know, on our social media or on our website or via email, you'll get an invite, I'm sure. Um, so thanks. Thanks again, Pete, for joining us. Um, yeah, always a pleasure. Thanks as always to um, our members and our supporters for listening. And, you know, if you like what you heard, please recommend us to your friends or family. Uh, don't forget to give us that review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening. Uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Colin. See you, Pete. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast listening apps. To learn more about NRCM, please visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NRCM Environment. Until next time, thanks for your interest, attention, and involvement in the collective efforts by Maine people to protect the unique woods, waters, and wildlife of our state. Thanks again.